Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. Good morning. Good morning. That's pretty powerful stuff. The hairs on my arm is just standing up. I see a lot of eyes that look pretty big right now seeing me standing up here, but um, <laughs> that's pretty good. Though. I like that because we're all called to do something. But um, isn't it nice to be a part of something that's great? Um, it's a, uh, I ain't going to say a, it's bigger than a brotherhood, but it's something where, you know, you're just a small piece with other small pieces to make this big, beautiful, beautiful portrait. And you have to keep that mindset because it's never going to be about you. You know, it's, it's about the gift that you have and how you use it for the glory of God. So don't forget that. Don't forget that it's for the glory of God. We all have gifts. We all have potential. So don't worry about these things that, that distract us. Leave those behind and master your craft, master your gift, because God has gave us something very special. So with that being said, when you do that, and you become part, you focus on God, and all your attention is off everything else. And you're able to build something magnificent. You know, you're able to have that heaven on earth, that kingdom that he wants you to build. And that's, it's, you just got to grasp that, grasp that. Forget everything else. So I'm going to get into the word, which is Mark 8, 34 through 38. It says, when he called the people to himself with his disciples, also he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words is the adulterous and sinful generation of him. The son of man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with his holy angels. So just remember, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about the kingdom. And keep that in mind. Love y'all guys. Praise the Lord. Good setup there, brother. I wanted him to share that verse of Scripture with you, that passage of Scripture, because my message this morning is simply entitled, Not About Me. Actually, it's the start of a series of messages I feel like God, God has given me, but I, I couldn't preach it all in one setting. It was too much. And how many know that information overload will kind of short-circuit us and we won't get anything? But I want you to be able to get this because it's important. And um, in that passage of Scripture that Tuck was talking about, you know, Jesus said, if you, if you gain this whole world and lose the thing that's most important to you, your own identity, your own self, everybody say self. self. If, we, if we hang on to ourself and our own desires, then we will lose out on what God has for us. But the Bible is very clear in Matthew 6, 33, 
He says in Matthew 6.33, in the verses before that, 6.34, he says, he said, don't worry about what you eat or drink or don't worry about what you should wear because even the birds of the air don't worry about these things and, and God takes care of them and, and he takes care of the flowers of the field. How much more will he take care of you? But he says, seek you first the kingdom of God and all of these things shall be added unto you. So we got to put first things first. But in order to put first things first, we have to get out of the way because it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about something much bigger than me. It's about something much bigger than you. And so often what we're most concerned about is our own little world, your own circumstances, your own situations and things going on around you. But when we release those things to God and we stop worrying about those things, God takes over. This morning I reposted something that just struck me. It just hit me between the eyes when I saw it. But it was from a message a good friend of mine is preaching. Uh, this is up in Frank Harvey's church up in uh, Clyde. And his name is Nick Honorkamp. And he's, he's one of Frank's sons that he raised up. And he's now the pastor of the church. And he was preaching this message on the need for the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit and about being full of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and his analogy that he gave was so good. I, had to, I just had to share it with you. But he's talking about his son that had this car that he bought. And after it was about a year old or so, he said he would be driving down the road and all of a sudden it starts spitting and sputtering and just eventually would just quit. And he took it to, to all of these places that looked at it. You know, it was still under warranty. He took it to this shop and that shop. And, and all of the experts looked at him. Nobody could figure out what was going on with the car because, you know, he put it on the computer. Everything checked out. But he said he had, he had gone to Texas, and he's driving around in Texas, and, and all of a sudden it just, it just deadlocked on him on the interstate. So they had it towed into one of the local shops there that, that dealt with that kind of car that he had. And he said when they took it in, so the mechanic called him in. He said, I want to ask you a question. He says, he says how often do you fill the tank in your, in, in your car? He says, you know, he said, what I do is I put $20 worth in it, and when that runs out, I put another $20 worth in it. He said, well, we found out what your problem is. Your problem is that in doing that, there was not enough gas to fill up the tank. So the upper part of your tank has rusted, and the rust particles have fallen down into your tank, and they're stopping up the filter in your tank. He said, so what you need to do, said, we'll clean the tank out, and we'll, we'll, we'll you know, fix it so that it doesn't rust. But what you should do is when you put fuel in it, he said, fill the thing up. That if you want to only spend $20 on it, when it gets down so far, put $20 in it, fill it up again. But keep it full instead of keeping it empty. And I thought, man. And this analogy was this. In our lives, we do the same thing. You know, we, we want a little bit of the Spirit, but we don't want to be full. And when we get a little empty, you know, we want to get a little bit, just enough. We come, get just enough. To get us to the next time that we get another feeling. But we don't want to be full. We don't want to be full of the Holy Spirit. We don't want to walk. He said, but there are people that are siphoning your tank. They're siphoning out. They're pulling on you all the time. And you run out much quicker than you think you do. So you need to be full of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians 5, 19, he says, don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess 
but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that word be filled means be being filled constantly. It's a constant. So we need to be filled. And the thing of it is, when we think about our selfishness and our own desires and our own wants, it gets in the way of us being filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm preaching a whole lot better than your amen. All right. In Numbers, chapters 13 and 14, uh, I was just reading through Numbers this week. It's, it's just part of my devotional reg- regimen, and I was back in the book of Numbers. But I was reading again about how God had told Moses to send some spies into the land of Canaan. You know, they'd wandered around in the wilderness for so long, and, and now they're ready to enter the promised land. And Moses wasn't going to get to go, but he said, send some spies over and, and have them to come back, you know, have them go over and check out these things. You know, see if the cities are fortified. See if they have walls around them or the cities walled. Check out the army. Tell me, you know, what kind of army they have. And check out the fruit of the land, you know. And if you can, bring some of it back with you so that we can just see what we're getting into. So just go and spy out the land. So they sent these 12 spies into the land to check it out. And they, they chose a representative from all the 12 tribes of Israel, from each one of the tribes. And of two of those tribes was Joshua and Caleb. So they go into this, this, this uh, into the promised land. They go into Canaan, and they spy out the land. And while they're there, you know, they, they gather some of the fruit. And, and man, it was harvest time, and they, they gathered one clump of grapes that was so enormous that it took two men carrying it on a pole between them to bring it back. Can you imagine going to the grocery store and said, I want to get a bunch of grapes, and they come out with two guys. Yeah. <laughs> Here's your grapes, all 75 pounds of them, you know. And, and, and they come back with this huge cluster of grapes and these pomegranates that looked like watermelons, only they were red. And, you know, just enormous fruit and stuff. And they're like, man, you would not believe it. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a, it's a good fertile land. You know, it's, it's really good. And, and, and we're excited to, to see it. But, but, there are giants there. The sons of Anak are there. And brother, you won't believe it. They're huge. And, you know, we look like grasshoppers in their sight. And, and, and we thought we were like grasshoppers in their sight. And they thought that too when they saw us. They're like, you know, what are these little pipsqueaks going over here? You know? So, though it's a good land... And, of course, Caleb speaks up and says, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold the horses. God has promised us this land. Let's go in and take it. We can do it, man. And they're like, no, you don't understand. They're bigger than we are. But what were they focusing on? They were focusing on the size of themselves rather than the size of God. And that's what we do in our own lives. When we find ourselves in a situation, we start looking about, what can I do about this? How can I handle this? But if we empty ourselves and we say, okay, God, here we are in this situation. But because it's not about me and it's about you, I'm going to trust you with this. I'm going to trust you. And so, you know, when, when Jesus was talking to his disciples and he was talking to the crowd there in Matthew chapter 6, I mean Mark chapter 6, what he was saying to them was this. He said, look, he said, if you hang on to 
your own self-identity, if you hang on to your own soul, your own suke, your own way of thinking, because in the Greek, that word soul is the word suke, and in the Latin, that same word, which we use, is the word psyche. Ah. Do you get the correlation there? It's the way we think. And some of us have a grasshopper mentality. I remember we had Keith Johnson here. He used that analogy so much it just got ingrained in my memory. Every time he turned around, I'd say, say, I'm not a grasshopper. I'm not grasshopper. And we are not grasshopper. We're warriors. It's Christ in you that's the hope of glory. It's not yourself that's the hope of glory. It's when we die to ourselves. And Jesus said, if we hang on to our way of thinking, if we hang on to our soul, our psyche, then we lose our life because it's a dead-end street. But if we're willing to let go of it, if we're willing to lose ourself in this world, then we're going to gain life, real life. You know, we live in this kind of life. We live in a bios kind of life. Everybody say bios. Look around you. What you see is bios. You see bodies. You see the biological makeup of man. Good to see you there, Dom. I see your bios. But if I want to spend time with you, I will begin to see the real you. I will begin to see your suke. I will begin to see your soul. I will begin to see who you are, how you think. And that's what really determines who we are. You know, we, we also often meet people, and, and, and how many have ever heard somebody on the radio, and you get this picture of what the person looks like? I remember one time there was this booming voice on the radio, and I had the opportunity to meet them in person, and when I met them, they were about this tall. I'm like, just don't fit, you know? But you're not kasapa. God has called you to much greater than that. Be, and, 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 and the people there with, with Moses, because of their own self-concept of how they saw themselves, they began to murmur and complain. They begin to lose faith. They begin to lose hope. And that's what happens to us when we begin to focus on ourselves and not on others. Don't you say this with me? Not about me. Not about me. I remember watching this uh, comedy one time, and there were two police officers, and if I spent too much time, you'd, you'd figure out who I was talking about. And, and one of them, you know, was a big, big guy, and he had a partner. They were police officers. She was a little short lady. And, and he, he started getting the big head about himself. And she just told him one day, she says, you're not all that. You ain't all that, man. And, and, and sometimes we feel like we're all that. But just get over yourself. You ain't all that. About the time that I start feeling like I'm all that, God shows me, you ain't all that. He has a way of humbling us because the Bible is very clear. It says that God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. 
And when we begin to become proud in ourselves, or we begin to become self-exalted, then God has to step in and say, hey, wait a minute, let me knock you down a couple notches here. It happens to all of us. We're in good company. One out of one people that become proud will be humbled. It's just a fact of life. And that's what happened to these people of Israel. When they, when they began to murmur and complain, they lost their identity and who they were. You know what happened to them? God had called Moses when they started out to the promised land to number all the warriors, to number all of the people. He numbered them all, and he listed them. That's what the book of Numbers is all about. He listed them tribe by tribe. He listed their numbers. But after this incident, guess what God told Moses to do again? To number the people. Because God was getting ready to do something. God was getting ready to do something. And because of their murmuring and their complaining and everything, God sent a plague and he wiped out thousands of them. Tens of thousands of them. And he had, made, he had said to Moses, he said, of all these people, he said, I want you to number the ones that are 20 years old and younger and 20 years old and older. And all of those that were 20 years old and older, you know what happened to them? They died in the wilderness. They didn't enter into the promise because they became so self-consumed. They wanted to go back to Egypt where they came from. They began to blame Moses. They began to blame each other. They began to play this blame game and everything around them instead of turning their focus and their attentions on God himself. We have a tendency to do that, don't we? Sometimes when, when things are go aren't going just the way that we think they are, then we start to, to try to nitpick and figure out what's going on. Let me analyze this. We become analytical. We want to get to the source of why things aren't happening the way that we think they ought to be happening. Well, well, here's what happens. When God said that to Joshua and Caleb, when they entered into the promised land, and they began to look around again, there were only two individuals of that whole generation that were allowed to go and to see and to receive their promise. You know who they were? They were Joshua and Caleb. The only two out of that whole generation, only two were able to see what they had set out to see. That speaks to us. You know, because God has made promises to us, we've got to hang on to the promises, and we've got to realize it, it, it is about us, but it isn't about us. If we make our whole Christian experience about us, we lose what God is really wanting to do with us. He wants to do more. The Bible says that you are more than conquerors through him who loved you and gave himself up for you. Now, if God says that we're more than, why do we live as a less than? Why are we content to live in a less than? I love that song we sing. I'm not a victim. I'm not an orphan. I live on the promises of God. I'm defined by them. That's what should define us, you see, because when we come to Jesus, something wonderful happens to us. And here's what Jesus was talking about. Remember, he says, he that comes to me must come like a little child. How does a little child come? They don't come walking into the world. How do, they, how do they come? Come on. How do they come into the world? I bet you know. They come because they are born into the world. 
And if we're going to come into the kingdom of God, we have to be born into the kingdom. We must be born again. And so when we are born again, guess what? You know that what? You know what that makes us? We don't come into the world with a beard. The word elder in the New Testament literally means bearded one. We don't come into this world with a beard. We have to grow into maturity. And so when new believers come to Christ, how should we embrace them? As new believers, as babies. You know, I, I, I was watching this thing, you know, I, I try to remain apolitical. You know what that means, don't you? Without politics. But I could not help but notice a post that somebody had posted on Facebook, and it was President Bush, not President Bush, President Trump, talking about this man and how God had saved him in prison and, and changed his life and about the FBI agent that had actually arrested him was the one who led him to Christ and he had both of them up on the stage and he was talking openly about their relationship with Jesus and talking about how we need Jesus and how we need Christ in society and how we need prayer and this. I mean, I was just blown away because in my lifetime, I've never heard a president talk like that. I'm glad we have a president that's not a politician, but a person. I don't know what you think about him, but here's the thing. It was just only recently, while he was on the campaign trail, that he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And James Dobson talked about that encounter that President Trump had with Jesus Christ. And so many people expect him to become this polished Christian, you know, to know all the Christian lingo. And I'm telling you, there's some people out there that are absolutely demonic that know Christianese better than you do. They can talk the talk. And they can make you think that they are the most spiritual person in the world, but they're spiritual all right, but they're not of him. Now, what am I saying? When we're born again, we have to start all over. If any man is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. A new creation. Old things have passed away, right? Behold, all things have become new. Now, what does that mean? If we're a new creation, and we are, when we come to Jesus, does that mean that we're perfect? No, it just means we're new. There's a lot of pruning's got to be done. There are things that have to take place in our life. And I remember when I was a young man, when I was just beginning, I was maybe a year, year and a half old in the Lord. And, and man, I thought I was just, because I played in a Christian band already, <laughs> that there was a special anointing on me and that God had this protective barrier around me that I was all that. But I wasn't. And just when I thought, the things were going just the way that I was entering into this area of ministry that God had called us into, like we were looking at the calling up there. And I was just sure that God had called me to be in, in musical ministry. And I love music, man. I, you know, the only thing that, that equals preaching with me is worship. I love to worship. I love to play. I mean, my wife would tell you I love to play probably too much. I go in my bedroom at home, and I've got my strat set up in there. And every time I walk by, it just grabs me. He says, come on. Play with me for a minute. So I got to stop and, and let her talk. You know? Lynn understands. Musicians, musicians understand. I mean, it's, it's just you got to do it. It's like I can't help myself. 
and, and it's okay. And so I just get in there and I just worship, I play, and, you know, sometimes I play the blues. I mean, if I'm not feeling up, to, you know, you hear me in that cranking, you know. But I thought that that was where God had called me. Had no idea. But I remember when I was nine years old that a, a man of God stood and he pointed his finger at me as a little nine-year-old boy who had come to the altar seeking God and, and not really knowing anything. I just knew that there was something happening in me and I had to respond to it. So I go down and he stands up there and, and he's, he's up on the platform. He turns around, he looks at me, he says, you! I'm like, God has a call on your life. He's called you. And you're going to speak to people. And you're gonna, God's going to use you to change lives. And I'm like, ooh. But I never forgot it. I never forgot it. But after I had walked with the Lord for a couple of years, and, and we had this band thing going on, and we were, you know, we were getting ready to cut a record, and blah, 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 da, 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 and all this stuff. And, you know, we're thinking we all that, you know. We go play somewhere, and, and the girls would come up and want their, you know, get her autograph and all that stuff. And all that was cool, you know. And, but I found out right quick that wasn't where it was at. Because in one day, you know, things just fell down around me just like, Everything came crashing down. And one day, I lost my job. I lost my girlfriend. I lost my band. And one day, I mean, to a young man that's like 19, 20 years old, that's crushing. Especially when your ego is so big, you have to turn around sideways to get through the door. <laughs> and so I go to God, and I'm just crying and whining to God. Oh, God, why? You got to tell me something. It's like the Lord listened to me whine for a while. It's just like I just felt the strong impression inside of me. John 15. John 15. I kept hearing John 15. So I get my Bible, and I turn open to John 15, and I start reading. I was like, God, you got anything else? <laughs> no. <laughs> What's John 15 say? He says, I am the vine. And you are the branches. And my father is the husbandman. And he says that in order for you to produce much fruit, you have to be pruned. <clears throat> you know what it is to be pruned, don't you? It means when things are being cut away, you got to be pruned. I'm like, so this is what this is all about. I'm being pruned. Boy, did I need pruning. Because there were so many unfruitful branches hanging out there, man. You know? I mean, it looked like a fruitful vine, but really, it was surface stuff. And God had to show me that there was a lot of work that needed to be done inside of me. And he did. God began to work inside of me. And God began to change some things. And I'm thankful for that because it's this little process that God calls transformation. Transformation. Everybody say transformation. transformation. You know what God wants for you? He wants you to be transformed. Because in Romans chapter 12, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you do what? That you present your bodies a living 
sacrifice. Someone said the only problem with a living sacrifice is it has a tendency to want to jump off the altar. Because it hurts when we're sacrificed. But when we are sacrificed, that means that we have to die. We have to die to our suke. We have to die to our own desires and our own wants. And he goes farther. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is, by the way, your reasonable service or your spiritual worship, as the NIV says. And do not be conformed. You know what it means to be conformed? It means to be squeezed. Squeezed into. How many, how many ladies in here wear those little, those little uh, legs things? Or you, maybe you used to. Uh, probably not now. You know what legs are, don't you? Those little hose that come in little eggs. Little legs. And they're squeezed in there. You know? You take these hose that are like eight feet long and you squeeze them into this little thing. And when you open it up, they go <laughs> And that's what the world does to us. It squeezes us. Don't be conformed to this world, but be Transformed. It is the word mega, 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 morpho, mega morpho. It means to be taken from, to be translated into a whole new being. And the nearest illustration we could give for that would be the caterpillar. The caterpillar is in this little, little cocoon. You know, I'm not stuttering, but he's in a cocoon. <laughs> and this little thing's inside this cocoon, this little worm, this little caterpillar. He crawls up in this thing, and he spins this little cocoon around himself. And he hangs out in there. But what is happening is he's being changed. He's, God is, is doing something with that little, that little caterpillar inside that cocoon. And if we go in and we try to pull him out too early, you know what we do? We kill him. Because it's the struggle that makes him. And sometimes we want to help people. We want to pull them out of their difficulties when maybe it is God that has allowed them to be put in that situation so that they learn how to trust him. And we want to fix them. But we can't fix them. We can only take them to him and allow him to fix them because he's the fixer. And the more we try to fix someone like that, the more we break them. Does that mean we're not to help people? Of course not, but we can't fix people. Only God can. Only God can. We're not the Holy Spirit. Understand that. So if you got people, if you got new believers around you and, and they're always messing their little spiritual diapers, be patient with them. God's not finished with them. 